My name is Molly Ellingson, and we're going to kick off uh, our program today. Um, Molly Ellingson with Herman Miller, and on behalf of myself and my program co-chairs, Rob Witherald with Oracle and Rich Ragnar with AT&T, we thank you for joining us today for this amazing panel. Um, while I do have your attention, I know Renee touched on it, but I just wanted to um, dive a little bit further into our March program titled Inside Out, Transforming Building Amenities Through Technology. So please be sure to mark your calendars for Thursday, March 10th, um, as we'll be having a lively panel discussion from the perspective of our many landlords, such as Tishman, Riverview Realty, and Lincoln Properties, along with leading companies such as FUDA and Unfold Yoga, who are actually working within these buildings. So we'll be diving into how the technology is impacting, uh, which amenities are being required by these tenants. So please be sure to mark your calendars because it'll be a good one. Also, today's program is being podcasted, so um, it will be posted to the Cornet website. If you have your MCR, you will receive one continuing education credit for each luncheon that you do attend. So there is a shine-up sheet back at the registration table, so please be sure to do that before you leave. Um, we do encourage your feedback, as always. Uh, we will be issuing surveys uh, during the Q&A session. We have put on the tables pens as well so that um, hopefully we get as much feedback as possible. But diving into today, uh, our topic is data center, colo, cloud, or construct. So I'd like to welcome to the stage our distinguished, distinguished speakers, excuse me, Sean Reynolds. Sean is a managing director with JLL and is co-leading for the firm's Midwest Data Center Services Group. He assists his clients in strategic planning, acquisition, and Disposition, disposition, excuse me, of real estate assets, financial analysis, lease analysis, market valuations, and general consulting services. Brian Klingbeal with Ansano. As chief operating officer, Brian is responsible for the overall company operations, which includes product management and development, service delivery, and client satisfaction, as well as Ansono's technology and services roadmap. And then last but not least, Kevin Monahan with Citadel. As the Director of Data Center Operations, Kevin oversees and manages the coordination of day-to-day -day operations and the maintenance of critical environments, including data centers, network operations center, and critical infrastructure sites for a multi-billion dollar company. So with that, I welcome you to the stage. So uh, thanks for making it out here on this uh, cold day today, but I guess we've had such a mild winter, so we got to earn our spring, and I think this is part of it. Um, so today, really, from a, from a high level, what, uh, what we wanted to talk to you today about is uh, really what are data centers. Data centers have changed a lot over the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And what, what do they mean to the panel up here, but also to, to you folks in the audience? Um, and then, 
you know, more specifically, how do they apply to your individual businesses? I know that uh, many of you may have read an article that, that Cranes had published last week talking about, uh, I think the, the title was, how your Netflix addiction is creating a lot of money for these landlords. And what, what does that really mean? I think that we all see it at our homes and on our on our own devices, how we consume technology on the individual level. And I think on the broader scale, uh, within your organizations, we see a lot of demand and we're, we're not seeing it go away. Um, we're seeing the way that it's consumed within the enterprise organization changing, but we're seeing that amount of data is just gonna continue to grow. And um, I had, we're not gonna flip through a bunch of slides here. We're gonna make this really interactive. So we encourage you guys, if at any point you have any questions, please, I think we've got a microphone that, that can float around and find you. And we've also got an application that we can email in uh, some questions to the uh, IO platform. So please feel free to populate that and we'll be sure to field your questions and not talk at you for the next hour. But one of the things that we did wanna talk about is some of these trends that are highlighted above. So what, um, what we're seeing from the way that people consume data and utilize their data centers, the different scenarios, we're seeing a big migration away from capital expenditure from the enterprise organizations, the end users of the world. And we're seeing that model move from cap CapEx intensive maybe five, 10 years ago, trying to get more into an operating expense model. And what do I mean by that? I mean, finding a landlord or a co-location service provider that is going to, to build, fund, and take on the responsibility of a lot of that infrastructure. And the end, providing the end user the ability to kind of pick and choose what level of equipment they may or may not want to fund. Um, so you've kind of got still some, some scenarios where you've got build, People can still build them, and they're not doing it as much as they used to. You've got partnering with a co-location partner and then kind of all the way through to a pure, pure services model uh, in, in the cloud application, which we read about um, all the time. The, this is just a quick snapshot of uh, 2015, the number of megawatts that had been leased throughout some of the major markets in North America. So to give you real estate folks a context of uh, how big this is or the magnitude, every megawatt is, you know, the equivalent of uh, near 10,000 homes, what they would consume from a utility standpoint. So you can see in 2015, a lot of these markets, including Chicago, had significant amounts of absorption. And a lot of that activity came from groups like Apple and Microsoft and Amazon Web Services that are really kind of housing a lot of the things that we're all consuming, whether it be on the on the home front or on the, uh, on the end user side, on the corporate side of things. So it's not going anywhere. How are we gonna handle it and how are we gonna evolve going forward in the future? So I guess turn it over to you guys. What, what, uh, what, what is a data center to you today? Let me start? Sure. I think uh, maybe a useful exercise to start with, uh, let's talk about why these things exist. Right? Why are they there in the first place? So maybe for fun, uh, raise your hand if you've ever been in a data center or what you perceive to be a data center. So leave your hand up if you understood everything you saw. <laughs> I talked to that guy after this. Uh, so why are they there? Why do they exist? And it's, uh, it's to deliver applications. Application could be a website. Application could be 
a way to transact and buy a book from Amazon. An application could be a game, uh, something like salesforce.com. An application, I'm sure you all use your bespoke applications in your job. Maybe it's an HR system. Email is an application. So all these applications sit on top of servers and storage and load balancers and firewalls and things. And all those things in turn sit within a data center. So it's, I think it's important to remember in the context of everything we talk about today, well, what's the point of them? Why are they there in the first place? And then you'll soon kind of discover, probably through today a little bit, that they take many forms. Uh, and you'll see the name used just to get some of the semantics out of the way. You know, we make fun of the word cloud because it's like the Polynesian word aloha. It means kind of whatever you want it to mean, depending on what you're trying to sell somebody. Uh, but data center is the same way. You know, I have co-location providers. In my previous job uh, with the previous company, we had a whole co-location business. And the entity I'm in today we're a managed services provider where I consume data center space, but it's not the thing I sell. Uh, in in co-location, the data center is the product. And in my business, it's a place to put the product, uh, a delivery mechanism. So uh, when we would sell co-location to people like me uh, in my current role, job, company, um, people would call the thing. They, if they bought a couple racks of co-location and put their, put their service in there, they would call those few racks my data center even though they have nothing to do with the, maybe the parts of the data center you saw when you, when you were in them. Generators and UPS systems and cracks and power from the utility provider and all that sort of thing. They think of their rack of servers as a data center. And then on the farther end of the spectrum, you'll hear somebody talk about the piece of dirt that they bought and the shell they, they built that's data center ready as a data center, even if it doesn't have anything in it yet. And there may be a wholesale or a DRT is a great example of that. They sell a power-ready shell. So, and everything in between, people will call data centers. And uh, I'll, I'll eventually let, let you talk. <laughs> but even even place like this, uh, maybe Magiao isn't quite big enough, but if you walked around any building downtown here, and uh, you'd be able to find a data center, which is really a computer room or a closet full of stuff that some guy in a ponytail knows what it does and nobody else in the company knows what it does. And that is a data, a data center. Um, so all of those things, by definition, are data centers, but I just wanted to start off with, why, why are they there? And they're there to deliver workloads or applications. And an app is on your phone, an app is on your desktop. Uh, applications are even in places you would never believe that they are. Like a, uh, uh, a great example is an irrigation company. Uh, they make pivots. So all of you fly lots, I'm sure, and you see those little circles uh, beneath you. Pivots are why the circles, but irrigation, uh, they spin. Applications now live inside of that farming device and figures out how saturated the soil is and decides when to turn that thing on and off. An application which lives in a data center somewhere. Uh, it's pretty much all of it. Um. <laughs> well, you, you bring up, um, so, uh, Ryan, that, that's a great description of the different kind of models or scenarios that are out there. As an end user with a recognized brand here in Chicago, Citadel, how, how do you... What, what scenarios are you using to house your, your data, and maybe why? Do you, are you cloud? Are you colo? Are you, do you own and build these things? So we're, uh, so we're, all, we're all, the, all above. Um, we have our flagship data center here that we own, maintain. Uh, we have co-locations uh, all over the world, uh, close to 80 of them. We have offices all over the world. And we're also heavily looking into the cloud, so we do all the above. I think our ultimate goal is not to own anymore. I think we're done owning. We don't think that's the future. Um, I don't want to pay to have it maintained, uh, the, the, the generators, the, the, the utilities, all that stuff. I want someone else to do the heavy lifting for me. So you, we're going to either wholesale it out, we're going to do a lot of colos, 
and we'll do a lot more in the cloud. You'll see, we were, Brian and I were talking earlier. I, I, I tell him, well, the world in data centers is shrinking. And he smiles because his world is growing. My world is shrinking because of converged technologies. We're taking 100 and maybe 150, 160 cabinet footprints, which is about 20,000 square feet or so, maybe, maybe less, depending on your design. And we're going to crunch it into 15 footprints. So we've gotten so incredibly dense that we can now take a small data center versus a 1.6 megawatt, I can move into one that's 300 kVA. So I've become so, so dense. And it saves me an incredible amount of money. And then people who do the colos, I, I, I make them do all the work, and I get to sit back and focus my, 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 my stuff on different areas. In the cloud compute world, um, we've learned a lot of things. You had mentioned exchange, email. Email is something that can live in a cloud. You don't have to own all this infrastructure, which could be five, six, ten cabinets of uh, expensive infrastructure, taking care of it, maintaining it. You can do this in the cloud. There's a lot of things that can go to the cloud that's not going to affect a company. And since every company is different, uh, you have to do your homework. What works, what doesn't work. We've learned over time that um, if you're doing a lot of file sharing and heavy, heavy computing, you, you can't really work out of the cloud unless you have what's called a cache in your data center or your room where people can point to and, and hit the cache more than the cloud. It's great for chunks of compute. It's great for a lot of things. I think it's the future. Um, if we hold this, this is the cloud. This, this is part of it. You're, you're, you're getting your stuff anytime, anywhere, any place. All you need is a connection. We're doing the same thing in, in enterprise industry as well. So you talked about you guys have a significant footprint across the globe, right? Um, and this is, I think, for both of you. What are, what are some of those criteria or filters that you see end users, corporate, uh, corporates, uh, implementing into their site selection criteria. So what, what do you avoid? What do you look for in whether it's a... Well, the main, main thing we're looking for is, is that famous word flexibility. I have to have flexibility in whatever I'm purchasing. I don't want to pay for 600 KVA if I only need 300 today. And, but I want that 300 later. But I don't want to pay for it, right? So <laughs> a lot of landlords can really. We, we look for that in the, in the cloud, world, cloud world. We're looking for total, total cost of consumption. I don't want to pay for... Uh, a thousand cores and only use 500, and I didn't use the other 500 that I reserved, I don't want to pay for them. And that's kind of what we're looking for. We're looking for this flexibility to grow, move. We don't want to be static. We're a market-making company, so the markets move us, change us, alter us, and we try to adjust all the time. So that flexibility is extremely important to someone like me. It's a great question, I think, that, that leads into what you're trying to accomplish, I think, with Cornet, because uh, helping customers figure that out, the, the breadth of services out there is so vast. And comparing apples to apples, we always use the phrase apples to apples in our industry. It's so hard, so difficult to do. So being able to advise your clients along the way, I'm sure would bring a ton of value to, I don't know what everybody in the room does, but uh, being educated on the topic is very helpful. But it goes back to what we were talking about before is I talked about all these applications, 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 or workloads or whatever you want to call them. And the workload decides what it needs out of a data center. Do I need to be in the cloud? Do I need to be... Do I, as a company, need to maintain the physical environment that that application lives in because someone's going to audit me? Or because that application, which is, in the case of Kevin's company, really important for his guys to control the gear because it's part of the product that he, that he serves versus somebody like The Gap. I was mentioning earlier, if you're the CIO of The Gap, does anybody really care where your data center is or what servers you have or what generators you have or what real estate it sits on? No. Do they care that you that they have your size, does your customer care that you have their size of pants when you walk in the store? Yes. So if you're the CIO, where do you want to spend your time and money? Do you want to build a data center? Or do you want to write applications that are really good inventory control and distribution systems so I know I've always got your pair of pants in stock? 
So you want to redeploy your resources towards the thing that make you a better gap and away from those things that are non-differentiated. And being the, 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 the gap CEO, he doesn't want to spend, if, let's say it's $1,000 a core, to buy all that equipment, to process all those clothes and to process all the inventory. Just in December, by the way. Just in December, <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, 20,000 cores, he's in the millions of dollars. He's not going to spend that. And it makes yeah. no sense in today's world to spend that. And it sits can, there idle for 11 months. It sits there too long. He just wants to buy when he needs it, uh, either through a colo or a cloud provider. So, yeah. But if you're, if you're advising your clients, there's a number of questions. That's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah. But the, uh, everybody's going to have their own criteria for what their application needs. And if you, yeah. you can go through a checklist and hit the big ones, how important is it that that, thing never, that, that application never goes down? That's a big question to, that will de- decide so when you're delivering But when you messages. say that, when you say go down, I mean, you're, you're speaking to electrical infrastructure or electrical redundancy. Yeah, the most common problem is not the yeah. physical infrastructure, but it certainly can happen. So not, we, not in my it, company. It, it's all part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your design has to be fault tolerant. It has to be concurrently maintainable in the mechanical electrical side of it. But then you have to maintain your, 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 your servers. You have to maintain your network, whether it's firmware upgrades or whatever it is you have to do. You have to maintain all that. And again, if, if you have the resources like I have the resources, we can do that. But some yeah. people don't. And sometimes it's better to let someone else do the heavy load, yeah. heavy lifting, yeah. and take care of all those things for you. The most common cause of an IT outage that takes a, your revenue-generating application offline doesn't have nuts and bolts and current electrical current. It has 10 fingers and 10 toes. That's the most common cause of an outage is a human doing something incorrectly. So this, this, this value up the stack, this management of all the IT stuff that makes your application go is extremely important. But there are a number of other things that it doesn't need to be audited. Is there a latency issue, which is huge in Kevin's world? And latency just means you know, the speed of light is finite. And you know, if, you're, if your data center is in China, and your customer wants to buy a pair of pants online and it takes too long, then he gives up and goes to another site. Could be latency. So location can be important, and there's always... This is a good one if you want to look smart in front of clients. Just tell them about the four. So why does a data center need to be anywhere and not in a cloud on the North Pole? And number one is uh, latency, is the most common, uh, and it's, it's too hard to explain today. <laughs> number two is uh, um, B, what they call BCDR, disaster recovery and business continuity. It doesn't need to be here. It needs to be not here. I need two that are different right. from each other. Uh, number three is uh, an element of um, uh, uh, emotion. I just want it to be close to me because, uh, and maybe I'm French and I want my data center to be in France and that's the way it is. Uh, and number four, I've forgotten. Uh, I'm sure it was important. Oh, there's a fourth reason. There somewhere. <laughs> uh, we'll come uh, back to it. Um, and then I spent yeah. the last year in China, and there is a number five now, which is the Great Firewall of China, which again is uh, far yeah. too complicated to talk about today. Uh, but there, you know, location can matter. Uh, but as Kevin was saying, some things, some things doesn't matter at all, and those things are more toward destined for the yeah, cloud. It depends, on, it depends on your line of your line of business and. Brian and Jeff and I were, or Jeff, whatever your name is, Sean. Sean, we're joking. You know, uh, in market making, I could, I could uh, have a co-location with pigeons flying in it. It doesn't matter if the exchange engine is in there. I have to be in there. So, you know, the, the, everything goes out the window. It's, it is location, what's going on, what you're trying to do. But to understand latency, and it's strange that I'm 54 years old and I know this, I never thought I would understand it, is there are, are 173 picoseconds per inch of meter. And then that equates to 5.4 <laughs> nanoseconds or, per, per meter of fiber. That's the latency I have to try to figure out as I'm trying to get proximity to the exchange engines. Why I know that is just it's insane. But we, we, actually, we actually know that. And then we, we, we have, you, you take it a step farther. I don't ask an exchange like BATS or CME or, or CBOE. I don't say, what is my distance from my network to your exchange? I ask them, what is my nanoseconds from my cabinet to your exchange? And we talk in nanoseconds. Now, we don't talk in feet and meters. And that's how it's gotten. 
Um, and it's just wild that I know that, but I do know those things. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of rare. That, yeah. that, that's, a, that's a niche part of that. Not niche. You guys are huge. Uh, but it's a, a workload. It's not common for latency to be that super important. It certainly is critical for, for Kevin. But for somebody like The Gap, you just, your stuff just needs to work. But it, it can matter. It can matter if your stuff is on opposite sides of the United States and has to go through little network hops to get but there. there. there and, but there's still latency is, 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 is one of the biggest issues because the human can only withstand so much. Like you said, you're waiting for this. You're, you're online trying yeah. to order this pair of pants from China. It's taking so long. You, you walk away. And it's, it's maxed out about 80 microseconds. That number goes down every year. microseconds, <laughs> you're, you're going to lose, yeah. you're going to lose your, your workers are going to lose interest. You're going to have serious issues and all these other things. So latency is so one I of the think, big ones. And we, we've got kind of one of the more latency-sensitive organizations probably yeah. in the world with Citadel. And then you've got maybe on the other end of the spectrum just the more traditional Fortune kind of 500, 1,000 type company. But... Um, Depending up, I guess the, the longer, the shorter answer is depending upon your business. If you're in the financials, you're you as a corporate real estate professional may be more focused on proximity and speed of your fiber connectivity. Um, but going back to maybe what you were talking about the gap. So how how do you guys envision um, the physical security? Security is a big issue, right? So we read about every other day somebody. Being able to hack into Target. I can or answer that real simply. Yeah. How do you, so how do you secure your data? Well, I'm not, now, I'm not going to tell you how I secure them. What I can tell you is, <laughs> nice try. That's step <laughs> one. Don't let anyone know, right? You passed. <laughs> you just heard liability. Yeah, yeah. I'm not telling. There are, two, there are two corporations in this world. Those that know they've been hacked and are doing something about it, and those that do not know they're hacked. Yeah. yeah. That's the, there, there is no more. You, I think you have to go away. Unless, if you're on the cloud, internet, you're hackable. You know, I go to department stores, and they tell me I've never been hacked, and I start laughing. I'm so certain you have. You just don't know it yet. You know, if you're on your own private network, it's different. But there is no more privacy. Right. You know, in the security world, what you're talking about, there's a slew of things you have to do. Um, we're more concerned with that what we call our dirty coming in, which is the Internet. We have our own private network that people do try to, try to, to get into. It's, almost, it's, it's, it's very difficult, if, if not impossible. But there's two types of companies. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, we're more interested in that dirty network that's, going, that's coming into our buildings. Who, who can enter through that way? And, and physical security is actually pretty easy and, and isn't really a big concern. Uh, again, the most common security breach isn't because some firewall didn't work. It's, it's ten fingers and ten toes again. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, the most common form of hacking or that creates a, uh, a data exposure is not sophisticated at all. It's usually some sort of phishing mechanism or somebody left a password somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh, you know, you read about all this stuff, and it's interesting to read in USA Today or whatever, you know, that, that some genius in Russia managed to hack through the systems, and, you know, we've all seen the movies where they do that. That, that hardly ever happens. Usually it's some phishing thing where I, I saw a great one the other day, a website that says, uh, do you want to know if your credit card number has been exposed? Type it in here, and we'll tell you. <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good, you got to admit. Uh, but that, that stuff <laughs> then works. Then your expiration date. The, and, your, and, yeah, the code on the back, please, yes. Uh, but that's the most common, the most common form. And uh, so with security is, and physical security is table stakes. It has to be there. And you'll see, you'll go visit data centers. Uh, Switch out in Las Vegas, if anybody's ever seen that company. You know, an amazing place. And humongous, you know, beefed up guys with machine guns. And that's a little bit of marketing, maybe, maybe a lot of marketing, because uh, there's a very small chance that Tom Cruise is going to break in and hang, you know, <laughs> inches off the floor. Could happen, but, but, you know, companies are very good at that, and they're a bit rubbish yes. at, at the other yeah, they type are. of stuff. It's, it's not, it's sometimes it's just not, you almost think it's not cost effective. 
you really have to invest in your infosec. Yeah. It, it, there's just so much money, and there's only so much money a CEO or investors are they're going to they're going to give you. So you do the, you, you do your best you can, but um, it, 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 it is difficult because you're constantly are under attack. And my, yeah. my this isn't this is getting outside the data center conversation yeah. a little yeah. bit, but my CSO I think puts it really well. Is you, nowadays you have to be really good at prevention and perfect at detection, and this ties into what you were saying, right? You you, you have been hacked. You just you, you may not know it yet, and if you don't know it, shame on you. You got to be very good at figuring out when something has happened, but it's impossible right. to be perfect at prevention. Correct. And you're and you're right. Most most mistakes happen by the individual. Yep. <laughs> so, taking a, a turn for a little bit, the corporate real estate folks that I would talk to, that I'm talking to, one thing that comes up, you'd mentioned it previously, is disaster recovery. So, I'm a uh, Fortune 1000, you know, company. I've got a data center housed in the west suburbs of, of Chicago. What What's my data disaster recovery strategy? Um, or what should it be? What should that disaster recovery look like? My main data center is here in Chicago or an outlier. Think, well, I, it, it's, it's, that's a broad question. Yeah. Um, it depends on the company. If, if you're a privately held firm, your regulations are completely different than a public firm. So you can do a lot of things differently. Um, DR is incredibly expensive. People like to say that. Oh, you have to have a disaster recovery. So I have a 600 kVA block of, of structure here. That's my production. Then they're telling me I have to build another 600 kV block of infrastructure over here. That's passive. And that's on standby. And I have to spend. That's double the money. It's very difficult to find anyone who's going to give you the money to do that. Uh, one of the things you can do is find out what is absolutely critical. And that, that is backed up, or that, you, you, you can do replication, obviously. Storage should be, always be replicated. Then you pick out, you pick and choose what are the things that you <clears> must have to keep your, your company up and running. But in most cases, you cannot build a duplicate of your production site. It's, it's yeah. very meaning, expensive. Meaning most right? organizations are not going to They're, they're not going to. Yeah. The, the CEOs are not going to spend the money. The reason the CEOs spend the money, in most cases, if you t- take the Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgans, is by regulation, they have to. Right. So if, if you don't have to, you know. What so, would you as a question? So if you can't duplicate that, what do you what do you do? What if, if you can't build that the passive replication? What you can, do you do? Well you can do a failover. You can have failover types where you can fail over to another site that's that, that can handle the load, even though it's production and, and pointing elsewhere. There's it's a broad question. There's different variations of yeah. what you can do depending yeah. on who you are, I think. The most that's common the, answer in IT is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> but again, back to like what is what is the importance of the application and what's the company's yeah, the appetite yeah. to take risk and how quickly can you get back up and running? That, the longer you allow it to get back up and running, the cheaper it's going to be. Uh, but the ultimate example, I think, is, this is what you're getting at, is uh, you'll hear the term maybe like active-active configuration. Uh, and this is actually, I'll see if I can explain this, not because you won't understand because I won't be able to explain it, but the, <laughs> this is where latency comes into play. But you might use applications on your phone that uh, are hitting somebody's service that is, uh, that is resilient, meaning it's in two different data centers. And each data center, it's got servers and storage and firewalls and stuff in it. And the application lives there, and it lives there. But both of them, they balance it out, can only ever get up to about 49% capacity. And now if you have a disaster, boom, every, all the transactions just come over here, and nothing ever happens. And remember, a disaster isn't necessarily a 9-11 or, or an earthquake or a pandemic or something. It could be that guy with 10 fingers and 10 toes again uh, who will have nine after I get done with them, if it was my company, uh, you know, making some change over here. So that's why they call it BCDR, business continuity and disaster recovery. Business continuity kind of refers to somebody doing something stupid, or you just need to do maintenance and take this site down, and then you just flip everything over there. 
And that, that configuration is very common for things that simply cannot go down. And where latency comes into play, you heard Kevin use the term replication. So let's say you buy a pair of pants over here, replication, late, and latency is super important. It's going to say, hey, Kevin just bought a pair of pants. And tell the other site, take it out of inventory, house the transaction. And then you might, 10 seconds later, actually be over here. And you won't even know it because the software is so clever. But now nothing looks different to you, the user. You still see the same thing. You still see your, your basket of stuff. Uh, but you may have flipped from Detroit to Chicago and have no idea that that happened. And the applications are clever enough to make that work. And, and you know, if, if we use the cloud model in DR, especially for a lot of companies, that's where you're going to have your DR. You know, cores when you want them. You, you can actually set that up for a much cheaper because you're not paying for all this infrastructure. You could be paying, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars to replicate your production site, or you can have a contract with a cloud provider to give you these, these services when you need the services. But what I just described is expensive because you, at yeah. any given time, you have 451% capacity that's just sitting there. Now, if you're Bob's bait and tackle, you're just going to roll the dice and say, well, if I'm offline, I'm offline. If you're Bank of America, you're not going to do that. So when you're developing these strategies uh, internally within your companies, who, who's, really, who's really driving the, we need more data, we need more data center space? What, what are the, who are the stakeholders within that decision-making tree that are saying, go out and find this? Um, and I mean, who, who, should, who should the corporate real estate audience here be listening to as business cases may be getting developed. Um, and, and what can they do to better understand those business cases? I don't know if I could answer. I mean, our CEO is our visionary. Um, yeah. Ken has, some, has a great way of putting the puzzle together for us and, and trying to help us expand. And him and his, his core team, it's market making or it's asset management. Um, they're bringing together where we need to be, why we need to be there, and how we're going to get there. And they're, they're leading the charge, and we're the worker bees who go out and make these things happen, whether it's it's Leslie and Bob there getting offices for us, getting uh, uh, real estate for the, for the people to sit, myself and my team going out finding colos and finding these things. And it's constant movement uh, of building. I mean, the, the decisions really come from, from Ken, his core team, down to us. And, that, and then we're, we, we head out there. I hope that answers it. But he does set our vision, um, and, we, and we follow that. And we follow the market. We're, we're traders. So the market dictates what we're going to do. It's a, it's a big part of your cost structure, I assume, in, in mm -hmm. terms of the, uh, the product you deliver is amazingly dependent, completely dependent on the data center strategy. So you guys are well aligned to the business. We use this phrase talking about that CIO at the gap that I talked about. We endeavor to get that guy out of the computer room and into the boardroom. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, CIOs are just a cost center. And they're annoying to the CEO, and he never wants to see the guy's face. And nowadays, <laughs> they're integral to the business because... IT is infused in every product. Uh, even, uh, uh, what's an example, your airline. You know, the, you wouldn't, you, I don't think you'd even think about flying an airline that didn't have a great mobile app that you could check in on and use as your, uh, make reservations, check flight status, check flight cost, and uh, even use as your, as your boarding pass. So th that's maybe a, a weak example, but the CIO of American Airlines, he's got to know what his customer wants. He's not just receiving. He's got to be able to tell the CEO the art of what's possible. Uh, but some, some companies are behind the curve, so the answer to your question is kind of a social one because, uh, and this is, again, why it's important to be educated and be a good uh, consultant to your clients, is if the guy is still operating as a cost center, he also tends to be the kind of guy that wants a nice new toy. So when the guy, if the guy making the decision, if the CEO isn't as technical as, as your CEO and is dependent on this guy and he doesn't understand the technology very well, 
things may happen that shouldn't happen. That's a true. That's a, that's a very good point. You know, there's a yeah. very social aspect to it, and people we call them server huggers. You know that should that should let go of their data center because they should be off doing cool things, but refuse to because I'm not comfortable in the boardroom. I'm really comfortable with my computer friend over here, and I don't like humans as much. Uh, and that's where companies can get themselves <laughs> into trouble uh, when you don't have a CIO that's aligned well with the business and the decision making being in the wrong hands. Yeah. So. We, we do, we've got a lot of real estate people in the audience uh, that are used to dealing with prices per square foot, lease rent per square foot, that type of thing. Maybe to, to give some magnitude, what what would you guys spend on a, a call it a, a build-out, right, a tenant improvement allowance in the office world, 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks a foot kind of thing? What, what do you guys spend? I don't know, Sean, I know the number. <laughs> <laughs> um, See, so, this is, you know all the millisecond things. All these are in my head. Go for it. So what's an average build for, a, you know, one of you, like a traditional customer? So uh, cost of data centers is coming down and sort of settling as people get more clever about design and it becomes more common. It was all over the map kind of in the early noughts, uh, you know, 2002, 2003. But the, uh, when you say, like, how much per square foot in the data center world, uh, we always say, well, how long is a piece of string? Or how much does a car cost? Because that's not nearly enough information. Uh, but the real thing you're buying when you buy data center space as co-location uh, is power availability. And we were talking about this earlier. And main, the really expensive bit, back to when you walked around that data center, my first experience with the data center, you know, I'm a finance guy, and I'm looking at the spreadsheets going, how in the world does this cost so much? And then when you walk through, you guys probably would think, how in the world does it cost so little? The places are amazing, extraordinary places. And uh, they cost about, so available power is the key. How much you draw through all those wires and cool down and stuff, it's a variable. But uh, I was saying earlier, it's like asking the taxi driver to itemize out the fuel. Most of the cost is in the driver and the car and dispatch and everything else. So the cost of a data center is in the, the gear that you observed when you walked around that center and maintaining that stuff. And yes, the real estate rent uh, is, a, is a decent sized component as well. But how much power you draw through the line, okay, yeah, it's variable and you see all this stuff about companies going to upstate Washington because the power is cheaper. And it matters, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much depending on what you're doing with your space. So uh, you th we think about pricing in terms of uh, dollars per kilowatt because that's the thing. Now, it also matters how many square feet you have to fit your racks and servers in because mm -hmm. um, that can, like a piece of network gear doesn't take very much power, but it takes up a lot of space. Uh, a piece of spinning disk storage takes up space and sucks a lot of power. But, but overall, uh, you're paying for the availability of that power should you choose to, to draw it and plug your stuff in. Uh, and that number, including the power drawn, you know, it depends on you know, Shanghai, London, Dallas, Silicon Valley, et cetera, but can be anywhere from $200 a kilowatt to... <laughs> 500, 600. 500, 600 yeah. if you're being held hostage by an exchange, theoretically, that makes you be in the same data center as them. Yeah, we wouldn't do <laughs> your question of cost per square foot. I would never even consider that. And that's right? monthly. In the color world, yeah, it's monthly. Yeah. And, and then, you're, then you're paying for all, all your cross connects. So it, it's, it, it is per KVA. Mm -hmm. That's what, I, what you buy. Yeah, I mean, on, on the office side, you consume square footage, right? People can consume square, square feet, but these folks and the data center and, side and, are well, more the interested too, we, in the we want, we want to be dense. I want at a minimum 17 KVA per footprint or a 60 amp circuit. I want at a minimum. I want to stack that thing and pack that thing. And each one, so I want to be as dense as I can in such a small area as I can. Yeah, and there's and multiple. Then I'm going to pay for, for those KVAs. So that's 1,700 watts in a pretty small area. Um, you know, 
10 square feet, something like that. Public For page. one rack? Yeah. yeah. Approximately 14.7. So approximately 14. <laughs> so, so 1,700 watts and 14.7 square feet. That, <laughs> that should probably resonate. Eight. So yeah. it's, it's very dense, um, and that, that all needs to be backed up and cooled appropriately, and it needs to be That's why Colo is, that's why Colo yeah. is so important to me. I, I don't want to cool it. Right. I don't want to fix the power or maintain it. I, I just I, I, Heavy lifting, I want someone else to do. I want to maintain the, the infrastructure in there, make sure it's working, fix your generators. Don't let me go down. That's all I care about. So that's, that's what I'm willing to pay for. And then to build one, by the way, uh, if you think about it another way, if you want to build, if you want to buy a co-location and have a pristine rack there with two power feeds coming from it, and that's what you buy, that's that sort of $300 to $500 per available uh, kilowatt. If you want to build your own data center, it's going to cost you... It depends on how well you build it and how resilient. It depends, it depends. Right. Uh, but think about $10,000 per kilowatt just to build the thing. And then you've got the rent of the real estate and real estate taxes and, and uh, maintenance and staff and uh, the whole list of things that goes along with it. That's why I'm so. surprised at people who actually build. I can see we were, uh, the big banks, I can see where some people have to build them. Why people are building them, I don't, I don't understand, because you, you could be 5 to 10 million per megawatt, probably upwards of 10 million per megawatt. And I, That's I, the same number. Yeah, yeah, 10,000. Yeah, 10, yeah. Years ago, when I was with Capital Markets Group at Bank One, I was going over all the data center access, who had access to my data centers. And the art curator had access to my data centers. I thought was that. The people in the dock, the truck drivers, everybody had access to my data center. I saw this one name stand out. It said Jamie Diamond. So I sent Jamie Diamond an email. I said, look, I, I gave him a list of everybody who had access to the data center. And this was for the Capital Markets Group, which was the, the trading arm of Bank One. And I said... Um, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to remove you. I take your access away. I'm going to remove you to prove a point to others that if you can't have it, what makes you think all, all these other folks can have it? And he said, great, Kevin. Welcome. I had just joined. He goes, welcome aboard. What's a data center? Well, it wasn't a few years <laughs> after that. He started to know what a data center was. He, started to, he, he was forced to build his megawatt data centers. He was forced because of regulation, and he had the capital markets group and plus the, the retail. All of these things forced him to really get to know what a data center was. And he spent, I, they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I think you were even involved in some of it. Yeah. Millions of dollars on these, these, these data centers. So I don't know why companies build them now. I think that was years ago we had to. I even think banks might start moving away from that format that maybe we shouldn't own them. You know, maybe we can farm this off, let the, the big guys own them and run them. I actually think that's smarter. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the way it should go. And with converged technology, you shrink uh, the, the cloud, the combination of all of them. Even Goldman Sachs is heavily into the cloud, into virtual desktop. It's, I think it's the future. I think that's where we're, we're going to be going. Um, so maybe a couple more questions for the panel and then open it up to, to you folks if you have any questions. But um, a lot of this audience is used to working in negotiating real estate leases for office space, industrial space, storefronts, whatever the case might be. How do you, how do you contract with a partner? What does the agreement look like with cloud, with co-location, with different levels of co-location, but if we just focused on those two kind of agreements, what do they look like? The, the way you buy data centers, it, it, so it depends. <laughs> I'm going to start asking the question that. and well, then answer it, it with it, uh, that. It does revolve around the business. So at, at a certain level, you get to the point where it flips <laughs> from being a real estate deal and becomes a service deal. And that, and that flip happens at uh, retail co-location. So if you want to if you want to sell someone a data center, it's very like the shell. It's a very traditional real estate deal. Won't look any different to you guys, other than some technical stuff about do I have a permit to do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and then you move up to wholesale co-location, where you say I want this hall, look a lot like this type of size. And someone else is maintaining the generators and everything else, but it's like a triple net lease still. 
And uh, that stuff back there keeps running, but that power ends with a, just for fun, a big giant cable that sticks out of the floor that you need to cope with as the tenant now. And that will have a lot of, uh, that will look very familiar to you as well from a real estate perspective. And even the, even the, uh, the back plane generators and cooling and stuff, that'll look a lot like really high, highly technical CAM, common area maintenance. Um, and then you've got to deal with everything inside that hall. But as soon as you move to a retail co-location where you're just buying the rack, uh, now you're in a service. There's, there's no real estate involved. But there's lots of confusion there, not as much as there used to be. Um, but when people are going from my own to my own data center, and now I want to buy co-location, they still have real estate deals in their head, and they want to operate that way when really you're just buying a service. No different than anything else, but you gotta, you'll have to work with your technical guy who used to run the data center to say, well, what do you need out of this service? What kind of SLAs do I need? Pricing, obviously, is a key component. Uh, what kind of access do I need? That sort of thing. But it really becomes a service at the so point. So you just said SLA. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, service level agreement. Yeah. So if the power goes down, how much are you giving me? And what's the agreement for how often the power will go down? So that, so that you know, from a tenant and user standpoint, to me, that's the component. It's, a, it's an addendum to a lease, uh, and it's got the most teeth in it, right? So... That's kind of your biggest weapon as a end user or tenant to go back to whoever your provider is and say you failed on this level or this level or that level. And essentially, there may be credits, there may be termination rights or something like that, right? <laughs> well, there are definitely there ought should to be. be yeah. yeah. That's, you know, nobody, no, nobody ever wants to collect those credits no. yeah. uh, in, this, in this business. So if you're collecting credits, it means that you've got some sort of power failure or cooling failure. Um, so if you ever heard, hear the term SLA, you should probably dig into that. Um, and that's, that's got the real meat in it uh, and, and the most critical component, I think, of, of an overall agreement. This is, you asked this question earlier. So I remembered my fourth thing, by the way, of, of why it should be somewhere. Uh, data sovereignty. And this is, I can't believe I forgot that one. That's really important. But data centers, we said house applications. But the word data center implies that all it does is store a bunch of your data, when really mostly what it's doing is allowing transactions and then storing the data from those transactions. But your credit card numbers or personal information, there's a lot of regulation going on globally now around what data can be kept where, in country, out of country. So that, that makes a big difference. But you had asked earlier about like choosing. Um, the SLA is important, but again, nobody wants that money. So choosing the right provider is critical. And as, as the industry continues to explode, there's a lot of new entrants who you know, might not know what they're doing. So track record means a lot to me. Uh, and people, when people say, look at my flashy new data center, you're the first tenant, first thing I think of is, ugh, no thank you. Right. Why don't you have people live in there for a while, let me know how it goes. I'd rather have, <laughs> you know, an older data center. It's like buying the first year of a new car remodel, which I'll never do again. It just breaks <laughs> all the time. Uh, so that, the track record, and again, your value, uh, well, is it, knowing that market is very important. It, it's due diligence uh, as well. If you're going to invest in, in over a meg, megawatt of power, you're going to have to do a peer review. Uh, you're going to have to send engineers out and go over that data center from top to bottom, look at all the one-line drawings, ask all the questions, stick your head under the hood, kick the tire. You're going to have to do that, or you're going to be in, you're right, you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah. Through the years, we have found companies and people that we ran from them. As soon as we got the closer we got to them, the more we looked, we, we turned around and we ran. We realized, <laughs> okay, this is, this is nuts. These guys don't know what they're doing, or they really went cheap. They weren't an M plus one. They, they, the other, oh, the other generator's coming, they would tell you. Well, <laughs> when you get it, give me a call, you know? Right. So yeah. you, you do find that. Um, in the yeah. Colo world, yeah. we, we've gone to JLL on many occasions in, in the Colo, the retail, and the wholesale world, and we would get information from them. We'd say, yeah. okay, what about this company? What about this company? And we would dig deeper because we didn't have time to peer review it, or it was, it was a Colo. So I, mean, I wouldn't peer review two racks or, or one wrapper when I put a place, and we would go to 
JLL would feed us information, and, and that's how we would start to choose. And even if you see the most beautiful one-line drawing in the world, the best data center ever built, highly resilient, highly available, et cetera, it, how they manage it after that is it, just as important. That's a great point, yeah. you, you know, if they have no idea what they're doing, it doesn't matter how, it matters a little, but We had a guy, head of operations there, and he said he's never had a failure. Been in the business for 40 years, I ran. <laughs> <laughs> so, you never had a failure, you're, I'm running. Because when you do have one, you're, you're not going to know what to do. do. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, he didn't know. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he didn't, didn't know what a failure was. Maybe <laughs> uh, we'll turn it over. Do we have any questions from the audience? We've got one in back, way back. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Mine's not a question as much as it is if you guys can talk to this point. So you touched on uh, the fact that there's attacks coming from the outside. Can you guys talk to the point of how do you mitigate risk coming from an attack from the inside? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Um, it really is, because we've, it's been in the papers. Citadel has been attacked from the inside. Um, and we've gone over a lot, I, I can, I'll go so far. We've gone over a lot of different scenarios, bought uh, experts in. Uh, we had RSA, the CEO of RSA, we spent countless meetings with him. Uh, going over their ideas, their thoughts. Um, we found one gentleman who went to prison who actually made a virtual desktop inside his PC and was actually, and, and then videotaped the alphas from his computer and put it back into the virtual onto a hard drive and then tried to steal the hard drives out the building. Uh, we've had InfoSec experts come in and use um, uh, electromagnetic uh, reader, if you call it, I'm not sure what, what you would call it, but they, 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 were, they wrapped around the wires and started pulling information from our wires. They were teaching us that this is how just how easy it is that, that you can do these things. Uh, we shut down all the USB ports. They're not permitted. Uh, first, first we did. They, we just shut them all down. They weren't permitted in our firm anywhere. Then we realized, well, this is crazy. You know, people have their iPhones. They want to charge. So then we, we finally were able to lock them down. That, that's all they could basically do is charge. You couldn't send or receive information. We do not let CD-writable uh, drives in, our, in our, our building at all. For years, we wouldn't allow pictures or cameras on our phones. We kind of relaxed that. We kind of realized, you know, you've got to trust people. You've got to be smart. We have a network operations center. We're always looking for things. Uh, we have uh, an infosec group. They're always looking for things. And they do their thing and are doing it quite well. We've learned over the years. But it's very, very difficult. Um, your inside attack can be just as brutal as the outside. Uh, quick story. I, uh, I spent five of the last 15 years in England. And I, uh, someone in, in Kevin's space uh, we were trying to sell to him. Uh, he's in the financial industry, very similar to, to what your company does. And, uh, you know, he's trying, supposed to be there to vet me, and he talked for 55 of the 60 minutes about how smart he was and told me the way they ran things in their data center. The hardware guys wear red shirts. The software guys wear yellow shirts. My security guys know that they're never allowed to talk to each other because that's the only way a breach can happen if they collude in much the same way you just described about getting the hard drive out of the center and that type of thing. Because someone's software has to put it on the hard drive, and then he can steal the data. And uh, I'm like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. So do you have a camera at the pub so they can't talk to each other? <laughs> like, what? That does nothing. Like, they can't talk outside of work. So that, that is a hard thing to do. It is. Uh, but it's screening, drug screening, background checks, we have to do all that for every employee. Awareness is huge. Uh, making sure people know wh whether it's simply it's, no tailgating, which... It's, 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 see something, say something. See something, say something. We, we yeah. caught this one gentleman because somebody saw something and decided, hey, this is weird, what is this? Yep. And they bought it up, they went up the chain, everybody started looking at it, and it was weird, and then we started to break it down. We started to, to, to re-engineer, like, oh my God, this guy's stealing our alpha, we figured it out. And it, but culture, it, it is, so it's, it's culture, it, it's paying it. attention, yeah. see something, say something. Um, and then there's heavy tactical things you can do around... Uh, um, 
role-based access control is what it's called. So, you know, if you're a storage guy, that's all you can get into. You can't get into the mainframes or the servers, that sort of thing. So having that, you know, having a good security team that creates governance rules and then a good uh, execution team, my ops team, that operates well under the governors that have been put in place by my CISO, that's, that's critical as well. And honestly, the culture might be the biggest piece. It's, it's, it's not only InfoSec, which is the, uh, the cloud-based security. It's physical. Um, Leslie's sitting there. You can ask Leslie how, how, how easy it is to get in our data centers. It's, it's pretty impo much impossible. We don't let people in. You know, if you want to get in there, you better, you, you got to go through me, and I'm not a nice person, so. <laughs> have, you, have you seen these things, the hand scanners, where you put your hand in and your code in? Those things take your pulse. <laughs> Do you know why they take your pulse? So you can't go choppy-choppy and put someone's hand on there. I know, it's gnarly, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it no, interesting. Never mind. <laughs> Stop that one, Tony. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. Uh, I was just, maybe it changes Tony. gears a little bit, but yeah. glancing at the, watching this chart while I'm learning, and I'm just kind of wondering on those markets. I mean, Northern Virginia, we can understand the consumption because of D.C., but and, and so on, even in Chicago with its growth. But why is like L.A. and these major ports like Vancouver or Atlanta with its other great things to brag about, why are those such a lower consumer? There's a lot power? of different things, uh, I'll answer that, I guess, yeah, uh, that would, uh, <laughs> that, that drive a lot of that consumption. Um, you know, California, you're talking about, there's um, some things that may have folks look to other markets uh, than California because high utility costs or uh, thoughts that utility costs may go up. And utility costs can be a very big component of this. Um, you know, if you're paying a rent, right, your utility bill within that rent might be 30 40%, you know, of that total cost of ownership. So, um, uh, you know, some of those markets may have different reasons as to why they're not seeing a lot of activity. But if you look at like Chicago, really, in my mind, I saw a lot of activity last year because of uh, a lot of the, the cloud or service providers entering markets. Um, they need to be closer to our phones, our apps, all that kind of stuff. So you saw companies like Apple and Microsoft, uh, AWS, Google, make some pretty big investments here. Oracle, which is a cloud deployment, they made an investment here. So a lot of cloud service Providers really caused a lot of activity in Chicago and and in Northern Virginia uh, as well. Actually, uh, we didn't even talk about networks yet, which may not seem connected, but all that stuff in a data center is totally worthless without connectivity, without networking. Like asking the fishermen, what's more important, the bait or the hook? You know, you need both of those things. So if you look at a network map of any big network company out there, Level Three or CenturyLink or AT and T, it'll be no coincidence that these guys on the left are all the hubs that most of the big fiber routes in North America go through, and that's kind of how, kind of how they came to be. And then, other, you know, L.A. would not be on there, and it, there's also an expensive real estate aspect to L.A. Uh, now, there's an expensive real estate aspect to Silicon Valley, but there's a whole other dynamic going on there in terms of the demand for... Because uh, those people all think they're smart and shouldn't outsource anything, so a lot of data centers <laughs> get built there. True. Do we have... Yes. Hey, Sean. Um, yeah. I read recently that um, there's a hub-and-spoke strategy that's evolving, involving uh, data centers and linking them to downtown urban areas. And I was wondering, what's the implication for building owners downtown or landlords? Do you see that demand growing? It's, it's already started Go ahead. growing, right? No, no, yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing more and more being built. We're seeing uh, Ascent just built. We're seeing 
I, I think there's a lot of real estate in downtown Chicago right now. Last time we were looking, we had a lot, of, lot to choose from, correct? Yeah. Um, you might answer that question a little bit better, but I just see like this area, I, I, one of the things I'm frustrated with, if I can take that another way, is the cloud-based stuff is east and west. There's nothing central. So I know, I, I think you're going to see more, actually, this area, because you're going to see better engines coming in, better cloud providers coming into the central, because the latencies, and it's east-west. You know, and it's kind of annoying that we're, we're being missed out here. Uh, you know, again, Ohio should have should have more. I think they do, but you know, I think I think you're going to see a yeah, massive increase in it because um, I think cloud providers are going to invest heavily. It's CME is already hooked up with Six Fusion. Six Fusion creates the meter, the utility meter, just like electric. It, it tells you your total consumption of of cloud compute, and they're now trading it on the Universal uh, Compute Exchange. So it's actually being traded as a commodity now. And as that builds, and it's funny if you if you watch the tickers, you'll see. East price numbers and West price numbers. And I kind of go, we're Chicago. You know, we should be in there. Um, so I think, I think because of that, and once this, 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 um, this starts trading more and more, and it's, it's getting more, bigger and bigger, I think you're going to see the cost drive down. I think you're going to see a lot more people jumping in, building, or expanding to meet this demand that's, going, that's, that's, that's still coming down the pike, like you mentioned. Netflix, your iPhones, all this stuff. Everything on demand, wherever I am, I want it when I'm there. I don't want to wait for it. And that's... How yeah. we're going, and that's the future. So I think it's well, going to be a huge. And, and there's, we've all read about, you know, a lot of corporations moving into the Chicago market or into Chicago proper, and th- those headcounts do have an impact, right? So if there are, um, you know, a Conagra or somebody like that, that that may be moving a lot of people into the Chicago market. If you take that and amplify it over ten or twenty different businesses, what you've got is uh, something that you've seen in like Dallas as an example, where they had a boatload of absorption and. A lot of that was caused by, you know, 40-plus either regional or North American global headquarters moving to Dallas, moving to Texas. So uh, bodies create demand. They need that connectivity. So that, that you know, spoke, hub-and-spoke model is really to make sure that we get stuff quick. Sure. I'd like to see Chicago become more of a town for tech talent. I mean, I, I understand there's an exciting new startup in, uh, in Downers Grove called Insono. That's my company. <laughs> but uh, I don't think it'll be downtown. Uh, you know, that, that, that is illogical to me, to be honest. Well, Cook so County's I, a problem. I mean, if, we don't, if the government doesn't fix their taxes and everything else, you're right. It could be more on the outlying areas. But that's downtown. where real estate is most expensive. And if you're, again, if your data center doesn't need to be there, if it can be in the suburbs. And this it's, is what's yeah, happening. Yeah. We talked about there are sort of three dynamics. There's going to be more data centers, by the way. You talk about cloud and AWS and everything else and stuff moving to the cloud, but those clouds live in data centers. But if you think about if the pie is this big now and it's mostly people buying colo, in 10 years it's going to be this big, and people will still buy colo, but you'll have a lot more service providers taking up that space, people like myself and Amazon and that type of thing. The demand for digital services is just going to keep exploding. And what I see a lot of is the horrible computer rooms that are, you know, spread all around the world are being shut down and consolidated yeah, into sure. data centers. Yeah. So, and where I see that a lot, I spent a lot of time in London, and, um, you know, all these old Victorian buildings, the real estate's absurdly expensive, and you need to have humans living there, not machines living there. So there was this sort of exodus from downtown London out to the suburbs, area called Slough, and I would expect the same thing to happen in, in Chicago, because uh, you don't need that much stuff. Uh, you just need network connectivity into the center, not big honking data centers in the center. Do you have a question? Did no, someone I'm have just a question? The microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else have a question? No. I, I could keep going. You guys bring up the taxes. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Sure. 